you know what may be worse than being sick is seeing someone you love get sick. No kidding. That's so true. And we've seen it a lot in our family, Pete. You know, before our daughter had sinus surgery, she was sick quite often. And the thing about her is we could guess, usually correctly, exactly how it would play out. A sore throat or a cough that would literally like bypass the nose altogether and go straight to the chest. So when at school, obviously, we'd load her up with everything you can imagine to the point that her roommates like gave her a hard time about it. And she'd say, take my medicine, please. Anything you need, just take it. Um, But she was definitely well-equipped. Yeah. yeah. And you you think about that over-the-counter medication, multi-billion dollar industry, right? OTC medication. And it makes sense, right? We would do just about anything to feel better, right? You're right. I'm Macy Jepson. And I'm Pete Kenworthy. And this is Healthy at UH. So are these results just in our head? Or do over-the-counter medications really shorten an illness? Or maybe they just mask the illness. Well, joining us to lay out the good, the bad, and the ugly of over-the-counter medications is a family medicine physician at University Hospitals, Dr. Charita Ray. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So this is a broad topic. Um, Things like acetaminophen, ibuprofen, over-the-counter medications, they have great reputations, right? But then we get into things like cough suppressants, nasal sprays, decongestants. They don't have those same reputations. So first, just to clear up some confusion, people may be confused about over-the-counter pain relievers. Can you tell us the difference between acetaminophen, ibuprofen, aspirin, and then are one of these more appropriate for certain illnesses or conditions than others? And, and feel free to use those brand names so people know what you're talking about too. Okay, sure. Um, I guess I'll start with acetaminophen, um, which is our old favorite of Tylenol. Um, My grandmothers love it. I love it. It's great. Uh, It is awesome at what it does. And what it does is mainly bring down fever. Um, We love it. It is pretty non-toxic for the most part. Um, For adults, we can use the standard dosing. Um, Normal strength is about 500 milligrams. I tell my patients, you know, go ahead, take that 500 milligrams and you should be able to uh, bring down that fever. If we have to double that, we're okay. I do find parents getting a little little sticky uh, when it comes to our our little peed patients because all of these things, all the medications are going to be dosed by their weight. So we can run into problems uh, with weight-based dosing for our pediatric patients. So you can't just say, oh, you know, just go ahead and take that 200 milligram. They'll be okay. They're adult size. Like we actually have to come back and actually get the actual dosing for those patients because uh, it's a drug and it can be toxic to the body. Um, Acetaminophen is going to go through your liver. So if we have toxicity, that's where we're kind of going to see it. Um, So if we have Tylenol lovers and they go over for an adult, that 4,000 milligram dosing over a 24-hour period, they can start to have some really, really bad effects to their liver. And we have to catch it with our over-the-counter medications because most of your cold medications are going to have acetaminophen in it. So by the time you take your Tylenol and by the time you take your um, like the Tylenol cold and flu or the Tylenol PMs, um, you're going to start adding up to that 4,000 very, very quickly. So we definitely have to monitor that. Um, uh, ibuprofen or uh, Motrin, uh, Advil, Aleve, these guys are NSAIDs, and I'm sure you guys have heard that quite frequently. 
especially with everything that's going on right now, should you take them? Should you not take them? Is it going to be harmful for you? Uh, and the most part, the answer is no, they're pretty safe. Uh, they do have some risk, of course. Uh, they work a little bit differently from Tylenol and where they're excreted. Uh, so Tylenol is excreted again through the liver, but as far as Advil, Motrin, Ibuprofen, uh, the inset guys, they're going to go through your kidney. So that's where you're going to see the toxicity kind of build up. Um, they are great at reducing inflammation and that's going to be everywhere. So yes, you can take it for pain. Um, I have patients that are like, oh, just minor aches and pains are great too. Um, but they do have the added benefit of being able to bring down fevers as well and just the general achiness. So I do have, I've, I've seen patients and parents uh, alike go ahead and kind of alternate their usage of a Tylenol and an ibuprofen or Tylenol and a leave um, so that they're not hitting any one organ, you know, all the time. So they can get the relief that they need and it's mostly symptomatic or um, I guess comfort care uh, and making you feel better, um, but not hitting both of those organs at the same time. So pretty safe all in all. Before we move on to aspirin, you said, you, you kept saying with ibuprofen, NSAID, and, and just so people understand what that is, um, it's, it's the non-steroidal yeah. anti-inflammatory drug, but, but what does that mean? I, I mean, I, I see those words and I know what the letters mean, but what does it mean from a clinical perspective? In a clinical perspective, it really is working with, a, I guess, COX-2 inhibitors here, um, and it is blocking uh, pain receptors, and we're bringing down inflammation that way. Aspirin is another old and favorite of a lot of people. I don't personally use it too much in the setting of um, your general cold symptoms, um, but it definitely can be used. This aspirin is also a COX-2 antiplatelet uh, inhibitor, um, so it works similar. It kind of it thins the blood a bit, uh, but it works as a pain reliever as well. But I tend to stay away from it personally, um, just due to its antiplatelet functionality. Um, but it definitely has uses when we come to our people that have cardiovascular diseases. Um, it's very useful for them um, or people who have had things like stents or strokes and things of that nature. Um, so I think that it's great in that regard. But as far as just a general pain reliever, uh, I, I generally stick to the ibuprofen, the Motrin, the uh, Tylenols. Uh, just due to the increased bleeding risk, personally. All right, let's move on, doctor, to, to kids um, from this high level too. And a couple of things here. Um, number one, I've heard you should never give aspirin to a child. So let, you, you can start with that. And then um, we'll, we'll move on to some other over-the-counter medica medications. But let, let's start with aspirin. Why, why not give aspirin to kids? Uh, it's toxic for very young children. So that's why we tend to Stay away from it. It can have one use, however, uh, in Kawasaki's disease. That is the treatment. You give the kid aspirin, but it is a very specific um, medication that is given in a very specific instance. Otherwise, we stay away from aspirin in small children. Okay, so let, let's look at other over-the-counter medications. Some of them actually say pediatric on them, right? Um, so what is special about these kids-only medications? Are the ingredients different? Are the doses different? Or are there age parameters for over-the-counter medications? I know at the beginning you talked about it's a weight thing, so maybe it's a combination of age and weight? 
It can be, but you really have to be careful because there are some ingredients in the over-counter uh, medications that are still not recommended by uh, your medical society. So if it's American uh, family practice, physicians, all of us, they have basically said like very specifically certain things are not allowed, but they are still in these products. So you just have to be mindful, go to the store, Make sure that you're reading your labels because it's very important. Um, age is also very important as well because, like I said, we can't really give aspirin uh, to small children, but above the age of 12, you're okay. Um, there are other medications um, such as uh, like your decongestants. Uh, you don't want to give those to little kids either. Really, that cutoff is going to be the age of 12. Um, so if you want to use some decongestants, uh, epitropium, nasal sprays, those type of guys, that cutoff is 12. Um, but as far as other over-the-counter medications, you want to stick with saline. Um, the saline-based products, they have like saline little nose drops for little kids that get really congested. Um, they have more natural things like honey can be used over the age of one that can help with suppressing the cough. So if you have these products that have uh, saline in them, they have more um, thing, natural things like honey over the age of one, then you can go ahead and use these things. But if they start to have the, I call like the adult things. So if you're seeing guaifenesin, you're seeing dextromorphin, you're seeing uh, a pseudoephrin, phenoephrin, those are not for kids. They can be very toxic to the small bodies. So we don't want them to have that ingestion and possibly having it being toxic for them um, because they are so small. And again, a lot of things are going to be weight dosed. So doctor, if my kid is sick and I only have over-the-counter meds for adults, what is your recommendation that, that I get myself to the drugstore <laughs> or is there ever a time that we can, you know, fiddle with the dose and make that okay for, for our kids? Okay, so if we're we're in a bind and we're looking in the cabinet, we're saying, okay, what can we give them? We can actually use things like Tylenol and ibuprofen, but they are very weight dependent. So if you have a child, you're going to use about 10 milligrams per kilogram. Um, so if you have a 200 milligram tablet for uh, an adult of ibuprofen, I say, uh, you may need to cut that in half to be able to give it to your child as long as the dosing equivalent is the same. So if you needed 100 milligrams, you cut the 200 milligrams in half. Um, if they are able to take the full two based off of your calculation, you can give them the full two. Um, but again, we have to also think about, are they able to swallow these things? Is it going to become a risk for them um, when they're swallowing? Like most kids can't swallow large pills. But if you by chance have the liquid forms, you can use those in smaller kids. Older kids, you just go ahead and wait, dose it for them. So um, I know that we don't really think in kilograms, even I use calculators when I'm dealing with my pediatric patients, um, but roughly a uh, one kilogram is gonna be equal to two pounds. So uh, if you have say a 100 uh, pound child, and you go, we want the kilograms to that, you would divide it by two. So they were looking at a 50 kilogram um, per whatever dosing that you're doing. And you said and you said 10 milligrams per kilogram. So now we're down to 50 kilograms. So you can give 500 milligrams for that. Correct. Pound child. 
Okay. Yes. Thank you for that explanation, Dr. Ray. I, I want to talk now about what many would consider the holy grail in the medicine cabinet, and that is cough medicine. I mean, does it really actually help? It does. It helps. It makes you feel better. Um, but again, we have to see how much of things that we are taking um, and if they are beneficial. It's going to be supportive care. It's not going to necessarily take away the disease process itself. So if you have a cold that's caused by a virus, the virus is going to run its course. But we do want you to feel better. Um, so the things like um, guaifenesin, which is a cough suppressant that's used in majority of your over-the-counter medications, can help with that. So you you brought up decongestants, antihistamines, and, and I get confused with, with those two things, right? When when you're stuffy, that, that's the kind of stuff you turn to. Um, so what can you tell me about the differences, first of all, between decongestants and antihistamines? And then are there safety issues there too? For example, if you have high blood pressure or should you not take them for too long? Um, what are the things to watch out for with those things? Oh, absolutely. So yes, they are great things to have in your repertoire, but you should not be taking any of these for extended periods of time. Uh, so if a, a normal cold is gonna really peak within one to three days. So if you're on day 14 of a cold and you're not getting any better, you should always seek uh, attention by your primary care or urgent care um, before continuing to just take any of these medications. Um, but for example, like the mucolytics and the expectorants, um, they are going to be thinning those secretions and those mucus productions that you have and kind of help you to cough that stuff up. Um, so it's easier to expel. So it's just a thinning agent um, that works with the secretion so that you can actually cough it up. An antihistamine is going to work kind of like, I guess, those main things are like Benadryl, those guys. Um, those antihistamines are going to kind of calm everything down, I would say. Um, so when you feel stuffy and you can't talk and everything is like, I can't do anything. I just feel so stuffy. Um, the antihistamine can take the kind of the allergic piece out of it where everything just kind of had a mass effect and bring and calm everything down, which is useful. The antihistamine is actually pretty safe when we have people that have uh, high blood pressure, because when you get uh, to the other decongestants and the things like Sudafed, um, they are actually not great for our people with um, hypertension. The hypertensives, I love it. They have coracetin, which is actually formulated for our people with uh, hypertension. Um, so we don't want to give them something that can raise their blood pressure. Um, because your doctor's not going to like that, you're, you're not going to like that, your body's not going to like that. Um, so you have to keep your, your blood pressure even. And so those things um, like pseudonephrine, phenylephrine, those guys will raise it. They take the guessing game out of it. Coracetin is great. It has like four BP. So you can just pick that one up and not even have to think about like, oh, do I will this raise my blood pressure? No, it's formulated for me um, because it it says that right on the packaging. Um, but there are things that you can get over the counter from your pharmacist, like the Sudafed or the things that have the D on it. Um, so even if you did get like a Claritin D or a Sudafed D or a Zyrtec D, that decongestant is what is going to raise your blood pressure, unfortunately. So I do advise against that while um, 
you are if you are a hypertensive, I would do away with the D's. Um, other people who do not have high blood pressure, uh, the decongestant um, can give you that feeling that you're seeking, um, the being able to breathe out of your nose, basically. So if you're looking for that, that is what the decongestant will do for you. But again, you may have the side effects. Your blood pressure may raise a little bit higher. It may not be as high as a person that's hypertensive, but it will raise. It will also maybe have like some sweating or some uh, faster heartbeats or heart rates as well. Um, so it's not that I'm saying you can go just because you don't have hypertension, go and pick up a ton of, you know, Sudafed and down four or five in a day. Like you still need to do things appropriately, but you, they have their uses. But again, it's symptomatic care. If this is a virus or a normal cold, it's gonna run its course, but we can make you feel better. Okay, doctor, this is all pretty fascinating. Um, let, there, there's a couple more things we need to talk about before we let you go. Um, I heard the other day of someone who uses a nasal spray every day for like a cold symptom relief or, or for whatever reason they're using it. Is that okay to use a nasal spray every day? What does that, what does that actually do for you? Like, I, I, guess, I guess it's called like Afrin, right? Or, or one of those kind of things. Ah, Afrin, okay. Because when we talk nasal, uh, nasal sprays, you can be talking about a couple of different things. Um, you can actually be talking about Afrin, um, which is actually uh, a spray that is basically a decongestant. Um, or you can be talking a steroid, like slow nasal, Or you can be talking nasal saline, um, which... The answer depends on which actual one you're talking about. In the event of Afrin, Afrin is not okay to use every day. It is great in a pinch. It almost does its job too well. Um, you can actually become dependent on uh, this type of medication because it vasoconstricts, makes everything nice and small, and you can breathe like never before. Um, but your nose can get very used to that and then you find yourself rebounding. And so when you do have that sensation of getting stuffy again, you're going to reach for that Afrin. Um, and then 17 years later, we're still on it. Um, and it's very hard to, at that point, come off of it. So, why, no. Why, but why is it dangerous? Why is it dangerous to keep using it every day? Though? I mean, it sounds like it's wonderful, right? It sounds like it could be, it could do exactly what you want it to do. Correct, but we don't want uh, one to be dependent on this medication uh, to be able to breathe. Uh, that is not great for us. And then secondly, um, it can also cause some systemic problems as well, um, such as with people who have uh, cardiac disease. We are vasoconstricting is a vasoconstrictant, and we don't really need that in that instance. Um, so the directions are going to say, we use it for the three days or the 72 hours, and then we give it a rest. Uh, the other two nasal um, sprays that we use quite frequently, um, especially in family medicine, are gonna be saline, nasal saline, and then uh, nasal steroid. So nasal saline is great uh, to kind of just clear out uh, the nasal passages um, and keep us breathing for the moment and very well. And it is actually great for kids too. So if we're looking for a nasal spray for kids, the nasal salines and drops can keep everything nice and moistened for them and then kind of clear out all the, the gookiness and the boogies that are kind of up there uh, in their nose and nasal passages. 
Then we have a nasal steroid. Most uh, commonly is like the Flonase, the Fluticasone. Um, we're going to have people taking those mainly for uh, allergy purposes. So people who have um, seasonal allergies, uh, they are going to use this daily and they can. It's very, very safe for them to do so. You can do one puff a day, one buff twice a day. It's really up to you and your physician to decide together what will be most effective for you. However, this is not like an emergency medication. You're not going to use this and say tomorrow, boom, I am. My allergies are great. No, uh, nasal steroids take a little bit of time to build up. So up to two weeks, um, you will see some benefit of a nasal steroid to kind of keep all your passages nice and open. So it's good to know that um, the saline spray, a natural option is, is a good thing. Um, speaking of natural remedies, listen, I'm going to admit, I bought my share of vitamin C packets at the beginning of COVID. Um, <laughs> I didn't spend $100 for a pack of 10. I, it, was, it didn't go that crazy, but I do have them. Do they work? Um, we have a very great need for uh, vitamin C is great. Uh, it can be an immune booster. Absolutely. Do I think that everyone should have like one packet of emergency in their bag every or in their coffee or in their warm tea every day? It's not really needed. No. Um, I believe that if you're having a well-balanced diet, you're going to get it. You're taking your multivitamin that you're taking uh, once a day. You're going to get that vitamin C. Um, if we're going overboard, you're probably going to pee it out anyway. Uh, so it, there was some taking advantage of what was going on uh, for sure. Um, so no, I don't think that you should just take it to take it. Uh, if it has a, a use, if you are sick, go ahead. You can take those things, um, but don't just take to take, no. A final question here, really, when we're talking about flu, cold, cough, stuffy nose, whatever we're talking about, when is that magical right time to finally stop trying to take care of yourself and go see your doctor? The short answer is when you feel uncomfortable. If you are not comfortable at home and you feel that you need to see someone, call your doctor. That can be within 24 hours of your symptoms starting, or it can be a week after. Um, you can, Ask your questions. Actually, I encourage all my patients to ask your questions. If you have, you know, a question about, you know, I have a virus, I have a cold, I'm unsure, just come in. Um, but if you are at home um, and you can, uh, I have a lot of patients that are a little stubborn and won't come to see me, which is fine. Um, but I would say if it's getting bad, come and see it. There's no one week, two week type of thing. Um, but if you're uncomfortable, go see your physician. Now, emergency things are a little bit different. If you are having trouble breathing, if you are retracting or using the muscles in your upper, upper chest to breathe, not okay. If you are having chest pains, not okay. Um, if you're having nausea and vomiting that's not going away over, I say, a 24-hour, 48-hour period, not okay. Uh, if you are having a fever that is uncontrolled by your Tylenol, this should again be peaking at like one to three days. If you're having 
fevers on day five that are uncontrolled, you need to go see someone immediately. Um, those things are a little bit over the exception, uh, but a general course is going to be one to three days at a peak, but then you can have some lingering things for quite a while, especially when it comes to cough. Cough is a little bit um, fuzzy, I like to say, um, because you can have a cough really up to a month after your initial illness, but it should be getting better over time. So it may be the one to three days, you get up to a week, it gets really bad, and then we're getting uh, less and less cough over time, but you may still have that cough at, you know, day 14, at day 21. Um, as long as the things are getting better for you, you're okay. But as long as you don't have any of those like red flag symptoms that I talked about a little earlier, um, then I say that you can probably stay at home. But if you ever, ever have any questions, do not hesitate to contact your medical professional. Yeah, and I guess the thing to remember when it comes to over-the-counter medications is read the box, right? Like, read what it says on the box. And if it says don't take for more than seven days, don't take for more than seven days, right? Just stop exactly. doing that and call your doctor. Agreed. Uh, if ever in doubt, read the label, see what the purpose is for, see if it's for kids, if, it, if you're using it for your kids. Um, but if it's an adult, use as directed. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Charita Ray, family medicine physician at University Hospitals. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And we want to remind you, you can find and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search University Hospitals or Healthy at UH, depending on where you subscribe. For more health news, advice from medical experts, and Healthy at UH podcasts, go to uhhospitals.org slash blog.